It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the july 5th 2009 edition of the virtual bible study my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is with us tonight hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight good to be with you and we look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight, you join in on the discussion by calling 877-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments to questions at collegeview.com. I said July. I guess it's February. <laughs> why would it, Why would you say July? I don't know. That, uh, maybe it's just wishful thinking. We're freezing to death here. Yeah, and, uh, and frostbite of the brain, maybe. Maybe so. Well, it is February 5th, 2009, and if you're listening live, we're glad that you're here. We hope you'll take a minute to join in on the discussion. We want to talk about an important subject tonight, a subject that has been in the news increasingly in the last few weeks. We want to talk about abortion tonight. But we want to do it in, in a little bit different way. First of all, we're going to talk about what you normally think of when you think about abortion. And then, as we get later in the program, we want to talk about the fact that you know a lot of people are, this is kind of maybe unusual terminology, but sort of aborting their children spiritually. They're not providing for their spiritual upbringing and so while many people wouldn't think about maybe a physical abortion of a child, many are accomplishing a spiritual abortion, causing the death of their children by not doing for them what they need to do spiritually. Earlier today, Jacob, I sent out a couple of questions. Uh, well, actually, I sent out three questions. I said, number one, what's your number one best argument uh, uh, against physical abortion? There are several, I think, biblical arguments can be made. Uh, we were asking for your number one best argument. When you're talking to somebody about abortion, what's your number one best argument to show from the Bible that abortion is a sin? Number two, what are the mistakes that people are making in raising their children spiritually? That, in other words, what, what, what are the biggest mistakes people are making that sort of accomplish a spiritual abortion of their children there that lead to the spiritual death of their children? What are the biggest mistakes they're making? And number four, no, number three, number three, there were three questions. The third one is what are the three most important things that parents need to do in bringing up their children to be godly people? So those were the questions. If you haven't sent us an email yet, uh, please do so. We'd love to hear from you on uh, those questions. All right. And we are plagiarizing the idea for our program tonight. We ripped it off from somebody, but uh, he's here to defend his his concept. Eric Reynolds joins us on the phone from Fayetteville, Tennessee. Hello, Eric. Hello, Jacob and Greg. How's everybody? We're doing fine. Great, thank great. you. Thank Good you for joining us, and thank you for the idea tonight, Eric. I heard this on your radio program that you do down there in Fayetteville, Tennessee, uh, this past week. You uh, brought up the idea of abortion and made the connection with physical abortion and not caring for our children spiritually. I thought it was a good connection, and I thought it would make for a good discussion tonight. Eric, tell people where they can hear your radio program. We're on uh, 105.5 WYTM. It's based out of Fayetteville, and it reaches, I think you said, Jacob, you were able to do some uh, gymnastics and get it to tune in on your radio there and uh, where, where yeah, your you house had, is. Why did you say you had to stand on your head and hold one arm out the window? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, was, it wasn't pretty, but uh, you are on the Internet as well. Give that address. That's right, yeah, www.allgospel.org. We have our uh, radio programs. You can listen to past uh, programs. Those are 15-minute programs. Um, and you, also, we have a, t- a TV program that just launched in January this year, and you can watch those episodes on that website as well. That's www.allgospel.org. Okay, and that's out of Fayetteville, Tennessee. Some of our listeners who are far away may not know where Fayetteville is, but it's uh, on the... Uh, some of the listeners closer to, to, to home might <laughs> Yeah, maybe even some people right here in Tennessee don't know where Fayetteville You're, you're down true. on the Tennessee-Alabama line, uh, right. and uh, we'll, we'll try to, to catch some of that off your website. Give it right. one more time. Let me, I'm going to write it down. Okay, www.allgospel, A-L-L-G-O-S-P-E-L dot O-R-G. Okay, we got it. And, Eric, uh, some of the news, I guess, prompted your thoughts on abortion. Yeah, it sounds like we were talking about this just a moment ago, and and Greg and I are kind of on the same page with picking up on um, 
some of the things that have been really a top priorities for the Obama administration. You know, everyone was wondering what's he going to do, what's his, you know, this first hundred days and all of that. Well, forget first hundred days. After he was inaugurated on a Tuesday, and on Friday, his one of his executive orders was to uh, restore federal funding to international groups that provide abortion. So that just gives you an idea of the the uh, priority that this issue of abortion has in his administration that just literally while they're still finding their way around the Oval Office and, and, and getting their staff situated in there, you know, one of the very first things that, that he did was to, to make sure that U.S. Uh, taxpayer dollars are, are going to be going to help fund abortions internationally. I, I was just shocked by that, Eric, as you were. I thought, you know, of all the important things that need to be done, this is what he tackles first. I mean, right. I, you know, we, we did a program early on concerning the fact that we need to pray for and support the new president and, and, and uh, uh, you know, not be uh, unnecessarily critical or negative and so sure. forth. But, I mean, as as godly people, we have got to speak out about something like that. And I was just absolutely shocked and disgusted uh, at that being one of his first acts of office. Well, and... And while it is surprising in a way, really, if we took him at his word, we shouldn't be that surprised. He, he gave a um, um, a speech to an abortion rights group back in, let's see, uh, I believe it was it was in 2008, and said that um, the first thing I would do as president is sign the Freedom of Choice Act. That was in July. So he he said, you know, this is going to be one of the very first, one of the top priorities for his administration. Now, of course, that was probably before uh, some of the, the economy was as, in as dire shape as it is and all that, you thought maybe it would get bumped off. But but he's, he did say during the uh, campaign that that's just going to be a top priority of his administration, and he's he's true to his word so far. Well, yeah, that's unfortunate. And I understand that Freedom of Act, cho- Freedom of Choice Act is going to make it so that states, individual states cannot forbid abortion. In other words, they're going to take it away from any kind of state uh, authority and make it a law nationwide that uh, everybody that wants to have abortion can have one. That's right, yeah. And the, he, he co-sponsored this with uh, 18 other senators. And uh, the way it reads, just real quickly, is it is the policy of the United States that every woman has the fundamental right to choose to bear a child, to terminate a pregnancy prior to fetal viability, or to terminate a pregnancy after fetal viability when necessary to protect the life or the health of the woman. So by making that a federal uh, statute, it would it would then therefore like you say wipe out any states uh, regulations that would that would you know have anything to do with limiting abortion or any type of abortion and even the the uh, you know we almost hate to even mention it but the the, the dreadful uh, partial birth abortion exactly. bans that have been passed in many states would be overruled by that one law if it is signed if it is passed exactly right and uh, the way that's worded, there's literally not any abortion that can't be performed at any state of pregnancy. Of course, to me, it doesn't make any difference. But some people right. have tried to say, you know, after a certain length of time in the pregnancy term, you know, you shouldn't commit, uh, uh, conduct an abortion. But uh, to me, that there is that's just arbitrary. All, in my opinion, all abortions are wrong. Life begins at conception. But this, the way this is worded, is that there's there will be no prohibition of any kind you can get any an abortion at any point in pregnancy that you want right and the, the really the loophole there and and i remember at one point during the debate i think john mccain pointed this out but he didn't really elaborate on it but maybe people don't don't pick up on it when it says um to protect the life or the health of the woman that word health is so broadly defined that um you you know arguments could be made if if this pregnancy is going to cause emotional stress that that's not healthy, and so it the, it makes such a huge um, uh, umbrella of a, a permission, basically that all all you ha- all a woman would have to do is find a doctor who would agree that it's you know that it, that it threatens her health and, or is stressing her out, right? And then that and then that there's justification. So you're right; it basically just opens the door wide open. Now this isn't a Republican or Democrat Democratic issue. Uh, Eric, this is a scriptural issue. Why do you, moral issue. And a moral issue. Why do you believe that the scriptures teach against abortion? Well, everybody, I think on every side agrees, hopefully, maybe, maybe it's too much to say everybody, but most people agree that murder is wrong. But the reason they feel like abortion is not murder is because they feel like the, maybe the life inside the mother is not a human being. And so as, as, 
as ridiculous as it is to say that, because we all we all understand, I think, intuitively that it is. But if we go to the Bible for some guidance on when life begins, uh, the Bible's pretty clear that unborn people are people, or they're babies, they're human beings. For instance, in, in Luke chapter 1, there's a story where uh, Mary, the mother of our Lord, goes to visit um, Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist. And when she enters the house, it says in verse 40 that uh, of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we see clearly that, that this is just one example of how the Bible treats unborn children as babies. I mean, that's that's the way they're viewed. And you know, it's so kind of interesting killing a baby there. in the womb would be no different than killing a baby out of the womb, basically. It's kind of interesting there, uh, Eric, that, of course, Luke was a physician. It's interesting mm. It's interesting that the wording that was used there, he used the Greek word brephos to describe John the Baptist, a baby still in his mother's womb. And the same exact Greek word is used in chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 16, when it's talking about Jesus after he was born when he was in the manger. Ah. So it's kind of interesting that Luke, who's a physician, of course he was writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but the Greek word chosen for the baby in the womb, John the Baptist, was the same word used to describe Jesus when he was already born lying in the manger. Uh, I think that does make a good argument. And, you know, it's silly that we even have to point this out. Don't you agree? I think so, I mean, too. Everybody knows, if, you, if you've ever had children, and I've been blessed to have uh, uh, four that that you know when you're expecting uh, a child, the, everybody understands that's a baby that's in the womb. That you, you can see it on the uh, ultrasound. You can, you know, it it does things. It kicks. It has hiccups. It sucks its thumb, or her thumb, or his thumb. Um, you know, so I think it's something that everybody really knows, and it's kind of a. It's it's too bad that we've been forced to have to prove well, that, but certainly the Bible is clear. On it. I think so, too. You know, I saw an uh, article today from the Associated Press, and there's a big – I don't know if you saw this or not, Eric, Jacob. There was an incident in uh, Miami, Florida, and it's just come out in the news today, where a woman went to an abortion clinic to get an abortion, but the doctor was late in arriving in the room, and she gave birth to the child, a living child. Wow. And, and – then and, and they just discarded it. it says the uh, one of the nurses placed the baby in a plastic biohazard bag and threw it out. Of course, the baby died. Oh, now, no. what's interesting is that even the uh, uh, the people who favor abortion say that was wrong. Here's uh, here's a, a quote from a Joanne Sterner. She's president of the Broward County chapter of national organization for women of course they're in, they, right. they strongly favor abortions on demand but she says this really disturbs me i know that there are clinics out there like this and i hope that we can keep women from going to that type of clinic well in other words she was upset it would have been okay if the doctor had arrived in time and killed that baby before it was delivered but she's upset that the baby was killed after it was delivered and, right. and hopes that, 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 that those kind of clinics won't be used by women. Well, what's the difference? I, 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 personally, I don't see the difference. I think both are absolutely horrendous and reprehensible. But, but somehow or another, people imagine that it would have been okay for that doctor to kill that baby in the womb, but just a few seconds after it was delivered, it's, it's, it's wrong to kill the baby. There, there's so much inconsistency on the part of those who argue in favor of abortion. Certainly is. We're going to take a quick break, and we want you to jump in on the discussion during that break. Send us an email or give us a call. We'll look forward to hearing from you on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Jerry Fralix. I'm a member of uh, College of the Church of Christ here in Columbia, Tennessee, and I have a few words to say. Occasionally, we hear parents who say that they don't want to force religion on their children. These misguided folks think they're doing their kids a favor by letting them decide for themselves. They're afraid that there will be some resentment in their children later if religion had been crammed down their throats. If we may be absolutely blunt in response, that is one of the most ridiculous ideas anyone ever suggested. We force many things on our children. 
We insist that they bathe, brush their teeth, change their clothes, etc. We cram education down their throats by making them attend school regularly. We demand that they do their homework. We force them to eat good food, get adequate rest, and do other things that are important to their health and development. We do all of this because we know it is in their best interest, and we do it even when the kids don't like it. Why is it this such a common sense approach is neglected by parents who determine to let the kids decide for themselves when it comes to religion? Dr. James Dobson writes, There's a critical period when certain kinds of instruction are easier in the life of children. There is a brief period during childhood when youngsters are vulnerable to religious training. Their concepts of right and wrong are formulated during this time, and their views of God begin to solidify. The opportunity of that period must be seized when it is available. The absence or misapplication of instruction through that prime time period may place a severe limitation on the depths of the child's later devotion to God. When parents withhold indoctrination from their small children, allowing them to decide for themselves, the adults are almost guaranteeing that the youngsters will decide in the negative. God's word has always taught us the truth on the subject. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're talking with Eric Reynolds in Fayetteville, Tennessee, about the subject of abortion. Talking about physical abortion now, and clearly the scriptures would show that it is murder to to abort an unborn child. We want to make the connection with spiritual abortion later on in the program. We look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at CollegeView. Well, we've got one email here from Patrick in Birmingham. I wanted to read this on the question of an, uh, arguing that abortion is murder, physical abortion is murder. He says, quite frankly, it's beyond me how anyone can think it isn't sinful, but human, but humans have an amazing capacity for self-deception. I've not had many discussions with people who strongly disagree with my stance on this topic, but I'd have to start by asking someone a few probing questions to find out what they believe. In order to believe that the killing of a baby is not evil, one would have to deny that the child is a human person or deny that the human person has any intrinsic value. And I think that's exactly what we've been saying, that the Bible is clear that life begins at conception and the baby in the womb is considered as a living soul. I I ask people to give their best argument along this line. I haven't been getting a lot of response, but I'll tell you the one that I think is the best argument, at least to my people way of thinking, I guess, uh, in Exodus... When in the Old Testament, Moses was laying down the law for the people of God. We understand we don't live under the Old Testament law, but we get some ideas there as to how God viewed things. And in Exodus chapter 21, it says in verse 12 that he that smiteth a man so that he die, he shall surely be put to death. So in other words, that was teaching the death penalty under the Old Testament law. If you killed a man, you, you yourself were put to death. Later in the same chapter, beginning in verse 22, It says, if men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judges determine. So here's here's a case where a man hurts a pregnant woman and she has a miscarriage, but there is no bad consequence. In other words, the child lives, is not harmed, but it goes on. But if any mischief follow, then that shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In other words, if the child died, then the man who caused the injury to the woman and caused the the miscarriage and the child died would have to would would pay with his life. In other words, that was the that was the capital punishment under the law of Moses. And I think there we see how that. It's life an, in the womb was it's, regarded. It's a it's an equation in there of if you know the hand for hand, life for life. So the life outside the womb is of the same value to God as the life inside the womb, Eric. Right. In fact, that's the same standard that's used for uh, injuries or uh, damages done to any other person, right? Sure. Now, what was that passage again? That was X. Uh, that's Exodus twenty one. Uh, about the baby is verses twenty two through twenty five. Exodus twenty one twenty two through twenty five. All right. But let's 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 uh, uh, go the other direction now, Eric. I, I hope that most everybody who's listening to us is on the same page as us about physical abortion. I, I'm just uh, I'm just convinced that any right-thinking person who's ever had any exposure to the Word of God would have to agree if they're serious about what God says. 
that physical abortion is murder. We're going to have to take a hard stand on that. Obviously, that's becoming a less popular view in our world. However, I did see, Eric, that uh, this decision by the president was right. was unpopular. It's the most unpopular thing he's done. Since I saw it, that's encouraging. It was yeah. like 35 percent of people supported it, so that's a good – Yeah, good. so you know, 65 percent, more than half were saying, no, he shouldn't have done that, so that's a good sign. But uh, we do need to take a strong stand on that. But what we were intrigued about by your uh, radio program, Eric, was the idea that you know people who would never even think about doing a, a, having a physical abortion often – are guilty of doing things that lead effectively to the spiritual death of their children, sort of a spiritual abortion. We're sort of inventing a phrase there, but it is it is something to consider. Right, sure. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 3 said, uh, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. So having children is an awesome reward and a heritage, but it's also an enormous responsibility and it doesn't, of course, end when we bring them safely into the world. That's really when the work begins um, of bringing up a child in the way it should go. And, you know, there's so many programs out there today. I mean, education is provided for free, you know, by our, by our government. Uh, there's lots of activities we can have them involved in. And I'm afraid too many times people, you know, are very careful to make sure their children have what they need physically, that they have, you know, they, they wouldn't let them go without, you know, their shots or they wouldn't let them go without the food they need and the clothes they need. Um, they make sure they get the interaction that they need and they, you know, they involve them in whatever sports or music or whatever they have an inclination for. But yet somehow the the spiritual things are often overlooked, the, the spiritual foundation that they need. And I think what's alarming along that line is that we're not just talking about people who who are atheists or agnostics or total unbelievers we're talking right. about a lot of people who, if you were to question them, would be quick to uh, express their belief in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, even though they profess that faith, they're not doing what's necessary to teach their children the ways of God. Yeah, unfortunately, we and and you know we you can see that if you spend time around uh, young kids and friends of children, and, and you think, wow, where do they learn this? Because they, you know, obviously their families would profess to be Christians, but you know, the, the things that they do and that they allow their kids to do and, and the things they fail to do, um, you know, say otherwise. Eric, what do you think some of the primary factors are in, in the neglect of bringing up their children as they should spiritually? Well, you know, part of it may be that, that we feel like that the, our responsibility is met if we assemble, you know, with the church. And then they, you know, a lot of um, a lot of churches have programs for children, whether, you know, it'd be just Bible classes for them and, um, you know, aimed at them for their age. And, and so, you know, by, by making sure that we have them there for that, we feel like that the job's been done. But, you know, so often in the, in the old law, it, we see that, that God stressed the importance of daily, regular, as you walk by the way, you know, as you rise and you go, you go to bed and, you know, have the, have the, God's word and the stories about um, God's people um, constantly on your tongue and in your conversations and showing your children that that's what's uh, important to yeah. us and, yeah, you and refer- vital. Yeah, the passage there that you referenced in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's see, it's, uh, what is it, Deuteronomy 6, about verses 6 through 8. Uh, I think that's a really important thing. I, I think you're right, Eric. I think that some people imagine that as long as you know I'm a Christian, my kids will grow up to be a Christian, and that's about all. They, that's about all the thought or, or planning that they put into that. No, not, not, no, they don't even. Some people don't even go that far. Some people go as far as saying, "I'm a Christian. I hope that they will be a Christian, but I'm not going to do anything to try and influence them along those lines." They don't. They 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 they, they got to make up their mind for themselves. I'm not going to push it on them. Right. If they well, want to be, if they want to follow God, good. But if not, I can't do anything about it. Well, the Bible has a number of examples of people who were pretty good people themselves, and their kids turned out to be rotten. And one of them that really stands out in my mind is the man Eli, one of the judges of Israel in the Old Testament. In First Samuel chapter eight, it describes him. And really, I think by most every evaluation that you might make, he was a pretty good man, with the exception of the fact he was a horrible father. Uh, in First Samuel chapter eight and verse three, it says his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. 
And in that same text, it goes on to describe the fact that God was going to hold him accountable for that. He was not excused, uh, although he himself was a, a was a, a, a apparently a man who who believed strongly in God and and who had lived a life of service to God, and yet he was going to be held accountable because he he was not restraining his children uh, and was not making them do what they should have done spiritually. Uh, see, I was trying to look here where where it says that the Lord would hold uh, Eli accountable. Seems like that was where he was uh, calling Samuel in the middle of the night. Right, wasn't right. Yep. Uh, but anyway, the the fact that his that his sons. Uh, well, well, and you would think if anybody it. would have learned that lesson, it would have been Samuel. But unfortunately, he he seems to have repeated the pattern that of Eli. Yeah. That's right, Sam, the- that's right, Samuel's own kids. Here's the passage I was thinking about. Uh, it's in chapter 3, 1 Samuel 3. Uh, the Lord told Samuel, I will do this thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And so, although... Eli was a pretty good man. He was a horrible father, and he did not raise up his children to be God-fearing men, and God was going to hold him accountable for that. And I believe that there are a lot of people today who call themselves Christians who are going to be in that same category. And, Eric, uh, do you think that uh, the the conviction of the parents themselves may have something to do with uh, the fact that they're not bringing up their children as they should? Oh, sure, absolutely. You know, it's if we're just a Christian in name only, um, you know, the, the first people who will see that will be our children. You know, kids have a way of picking up on what's important. You know, if you're a huge Tennessee fan or you're a big uh, Alabama football fan or whatever it is, you know, you, the kids are almost always follow that, you know, if the, if the parents are just so enthusiastic about it, you'll see that in their children as well. And I remember mimicking a lot of things that, that, uh, that my dad was big into. He was, uh, he was a big-time Republican and, you know, uh, I remember going to school and making those arguments as well, you know, before you really even understand it, just because you see that that's what your parents are passionate about. And, uh, the same thing is true, for, obviously, for spiritual things. If our, if the, if the parents are passionate about it and it's important to them and it's, uh, something they talk about and they're excited about, and, then, uh, it's not a guaranteed thing, but, but the, uh, certainly the odds are in favor of the, the children, uh, picking up on that and that love for God and His Word. But at the, on the other hand, if it's something that, they do a couple hours a week, and it's just kind of what we've always done. And then it's never brought up in the, you know, outside of that, and it doesn't really affect their life, and it's never anything that they talk about or excited about. Then you know the children are going to be the first to see through it. And in our in our generation, for sure, it seems like more and more just don't care about keeping up with appearances, and so the kids are you know more likely just to quit going or not go at all. Or- well, I think every every passage, Eric, I think that you could bring up about setting a good example and being a proper influence, every one of those needs to be applied in the home because I agree with you completely that the kids will see, the, they're going to see through any hypocrisy on the part of their parents. They're going to see the parents for what they really are, and and, and they're going to learn from us, either for good or for bad. And unfortunately, a lot of the cases, parents are teaching their children in a horrible way by, by their example and influence. And when, when a parent's faith and conviction and commitment to the Lord is not what it ought to be, uh, it, it's a, a, a real recipe for disaster for the kids. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul makes a connection with the faith of the parent and the faith of the child when he talks to Timothy in Second Timothy mm-hmm. chapter 1, verse 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first, first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And so we see the connection there, uh, Eric. We see that uh, the faith has been handed down from, from grandmother to mother to, to son, and uh, that should be an encouragement for us as well. Yeah, and we, of course we understand that that's, you know, we, we can never make it automatic because at some point we all have free will and so you know um it's you know it's not uncommon for parents to have three or four children and to do everything right and 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 you know one of them you know may decide at some point during his life to to rebel against that and um you know there's a certain amount of that is out of our hands but certainly we we have a responsibility to as you know ephesians 6 4 fathers 
do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, you know, there's certainly a responsibility that we have to provide that environment, yeah. that nurturing environment and the admonition and the instruction. Uh, there will come a day when they will have to decide, uh, you know, what, whether they're going to have a faith of their own or not. Um, but we have to be sure that as parents, just like physically and uh, educationally and every other way we have to provide for our children, we the most important thing we could ever do is to give them a, that spiritual foundation. Hopefully when they're old, they will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6, exactly. Well, Eric, we're up against a break, and uh, we need to cut you loose. You've got some kids probably to tend to there tonight. <laughs> but we appreciate you being with us on the program, and thanks for the good idea for discussion tonight. Well, thank you for including me. I, I enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate your time. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll get your comments on the other side of the break. What do you think about our topic tonight? Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. The program continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. As the abortion debate continues to rage in our country, various arguments are offered in support of the right of women to have abortions on demand. Perhaps some of the people who take this position would rethink their endorsement if they studied the statistics that identify who gets abortions and why. The statistics tell us that less than 1% of all abortions are for victims of rape or incest. Approximately half of women who have abortions indicate that they do not want to be a single parent and or they are experiencing problems in their relationship with the father of the child. Two-thirds of those getting abortions state that they could not afford a child. 75% said that the child would interfere with their lives. And 81% of all abortions performed in the United States are on unmarried women. These statistics are quoted by Charles Swindle in his book, The Sanctity of Life. Several things are clear from these statistics. First, the argument that abortions must remain legal because of pregnancies resulting from rape and incest is absolutely bogus. Can anyone seriously maintain this view and justify the killing of millions of babies every year for the sake of a handful of rape or incest victims? Additionally, the health of the mother is seldom at risk in the modern age of medical technology. It is apparent that the vast majority of abortions are performed as a, quote, remedy for the consequences of immoral behavior. Unmarried individuals engage in fornication. A pregnancy results. They don't want to be bothered by an unwanted child. They claim they cannot afford the child. Some are honest enough to admit that having a baby would interfere with their own selfish lifestyles. Abortion is murder. Innocent children are being sacrificed to satisfy the desire of morally bankrupt people. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Hunter. I'm 11 years old, and I love listening to the virtual Bible study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And welcome back to the program tonight. The phone line is open, 877-381-4567. Certainly you have some thoughts about the important subject of physical abortion. We're open to those still. Yeah, we got and, an email from Jack, and, uh, and he mentions his best argument. It's one that was already mentioned about John leaping in Elizabeth's womb for joy. He was human. He expressed emotion. And I think tie that in then. Uh, that's, that is Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 44, where John the Baptist leapt or leaped while he was still in the womb of his mother. Tie that, and maybe this is a good thing to write down in your margin, Tie that to chapter 2, verse 16, where the exact same word is used to describe Jesus after he was born, lying in the manger. I think that makes a pretty strong argument. Thanks, Jack. Thank you, Jack. And we're open to taking your comments on physical abortion, and certainly you have some ideas about the spiritual upbringing of children. Let me go on and hear those. Let me read what Jack says. uh, What's the biggest mistake that parents make? Remember, these are the questions that we sent out earlier, and if you haven't responded yet, please send us an email or give us a phone call. Uh, we're ready to, to take that uh, contact from you just immediately. But Jack says uh, the biggest mistake that parents make that should be considered a spiritual abortion of their children, he says, when parents don't bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they don't raise their children with God's word in their lives, they think either the public school or church will do their job. And then he references what Eric was mentioning a minute ago, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8. Um, let me read a, an email from Patrick in regards to this idea of the mistakes parents make raising their children to be godly people. He says the the idea of a spiritual abortion is new to me. I'm going to assume we're talking about serious spiritual deprivation here, and that's, of course, what we are talking about. He goes on to say if we're talking about non-Christian, the most obvious thing would be outright teaching their children that there is no God and to teach them to believe and act out things that are against the moral law. 
But if we're talking about professing, professed Christians, I would say that hypocrisy is the worst poison, or at least one of the worst. I see a real problem where Christians believe that they are godly. If they go to church on Sunday morning and evening and on Wednesday night, they tithe maybe, they don't dance, gamble, drink, smoke, or have sex outside of marriage or use bad language, but they gossip, harbor ill feelings about others. others. Uh, they do unto others as they have done unto me. In other words, they're vengeful. They live a life of self-indulgence. In other words, they live a life that externally looks like they're an upstanding Christian in many respects, but they're a horrible neighbor, difficult to get along with, quite frankly, are rotten on the inside. This is the parental life that poisons the life of the children. I think Patrick is right on uh, about that, and I would agree with him in those in those things concerning. And, and again, that's along some of the same lines we were discussing with Eric Everything that you know the Bible tells you about needing to guard and protect your influence and your example is magnified many times over in regards to our example and our influence on our kids. Your children see the way that you are. You can't put on that mask that you put on on Sunday. You can't put on your game face and go look good for a couple hours on Sunday. Your kids are going to see how you are behind that mask. And if it's rotten, they're going to know it and they're going to imitate it in their lives more than likely. Yeah. So I think we really got to be on guard. We got to be working. I mean, uh, I was talking to somebody just recently about parenting and the challenge of parenting. And I've, I've said many times to the folks here as we've taught and talked on the subject of parents and children that I think parents in the present generation have a harder job in raising their kids than almost any time in history. Now, uh, when I say that, I acknowledge, for instance, the man Noah, who raised apparently, you know, his sons to fear God when he was the only parent trying to raise his children in the fear of God. Uh, so, I, I, you know, we live in bad times. I'm not saying we live in the and, worst of times. but and, and, and so the times may be harder than they were when you were a child, perhaps. But also, I think you need to couple that with the fact that parents seem to be doing less parenting now than they yeah. were. And, and Satan has got a whole new bag of tricks. So he's got so many. Hey, just keep ad- the parents distracted. Yeah. You know, put them in front of the television well, set. Well, or, and put the kids in front of the TV or yeah. in front of the computer and, yeah. and uh, with their cell phones and their text messages. And there's so many new ways to present temptation. And parents are, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of parents are just act like they're oblivious to the dangers. And, and to in this present world, if you're going to have any hope of succeeding with your kids, you're going to have to be on your toes 24-7, and you need eyes in the back of your head. And if you're not that perceptive, you're in trouble. Okay, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Join in on the discussion now. We want to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts on these important subjects. You know, it's been it's been suggested, and I, I believe it's true, that some parents have the idea that it's mainly somebody else's job to teach my kids what they need to know. It's it's the job of the elders or the preacher or maybe the Bible class teachers, uh, uh, the folks at church. It's their job uh, to teach the kids, and I'm just assuming they're going to get the job done and they'll become Christians. I remember once several years ago uh, where I was a member, there was a uh, a father and his son was showing great disinterest in the things of God. Uh, uh, he He seldom attended. Uh, he was getting involved in some bad things. He was in, he'd already been in some trouble with the law. And I remember this father saying, of course, you'd have to know this father. This father was, was a very lukewarm Christian himself. But he actually said to me, if the elders don't do something pretty soon, they're going to lose that boy. And it was his own son. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was just absolutely floored by that idea. Yeah. But he, 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 manif- he, he actually uh, expressed I don't know if many would express it as openly as he did, but he expressed the idea that I think a lot of parents have. Well, his his expression or his uh, reaction of just wringing his hands and thinking that his children's behavior was beyond his control is not uncommon. A lot of people sit back and wring their hands and just say, well, Junior is not acting like he should, and there's not anything I can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and some of them maybe have the idea, and I think Eric expressed this a little bit ago. I don't want to force this on my kids because if I if I force them to attend worship services and if I, if I make them go to Bible class, then when they get later in life, they're going to rebel against that and they'll probably leave the church. If I if I force them in these matters, uh, 
which I think is just foolishness. I mean, we force a kid to brush his teeth. We force him to go to school. We force him to eat his vegetables. We, 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 we as parents understand that we have to do, we have to get our kids to do some things that they don't want to do just naturally on their own because we do it in their best interest. And spiritual training is the most important thing in their interest. Certainly. Are you saying that cleaning their room or brushing their teeth is more important? You'll force them to do that. But I wouldn't think about forcing them to study their Bible or to attend worship services. Notice the reaction that the parents had in Deuteronomy chapter 21, beginning of verse 18. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and into the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shall they put evil away. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, we're not a, a admonishing the stoning of children today, but parents in the Old Testament realized that their children were going to obey. They were going to see to it that they obeyed. And I don't think it's talking about being, I mean, certainly it is talking about being obedient and cleaning their room or cleaning their tent, whatever they had back then. But certainly this would also go to the more important thing of being obedient to the Lord. Exactly right. I think that is just absolutely uh, so. Uh, Parents, you need to understand you're going to be held accountable in these things. And uh, if you're not doing your job as God expects you to be doing it, uh, you're going to pay for that eternally. We got an email, Jacob, from Don uh, in Antioch, Tennessee, and he takes a slightly different. I'm not sure he understood our our approach. Well, it, it, it's kind of interesting the, the the tack that he takes on this question of of you know what what are the things people are doing to lead to the spiritual abortion of their children or the the spiritual death of their children. He says. To, uh, he, sa- he says, I don't understand the comparison. He says, to abort the birth process will kill the unborn child, and since this can't be reversed, the child can never come back alive physically. However, when parents abort the process of raising up a child spiritually, this might be for the better. He says, many times could be for the better, especially if the parents were involved in the wrong religion. For example, wouldn't it be really best if parents who of false beliefs who never even bothered to teach their kids about their religion in the first place. From this standpoint, I really do believe that many kids are better off to never step inside a, quote, church building or be taught anything about God until they're old enough to learn for themselves. At least then they won't be hindered so much by the false teachings that have been pounded into their heads when they were being raised. I know this doesn't set well with most people, but it just I just don't always see it as a good thing when parents take their kids to church. Therefore, spiritual abortion could be good well uh i think i understand what he's saying there uh we 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 based our question upon the assumption that parents are going to teach their kids the truth he's saying if parents themselves are not practicing true religion it'd be better off for them not to indoctrinate their kids in a lot of religious error certainly and i understand we agree with that and uh we would say it's you know if they're not bringing them up the right way they should you know don't even bother if you're not uh, being sincere. All right. We have a, a phone call. We have uh, we were a little bit discombobulated on uh, getting it arranged here, but we've got a connection now. Mike in Orleans, Indiana is on the phone. Hello, Mike. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? We're doing good. Thanks hey. for calling. Good hey, I appreciate Mike. the program tonight, as I always do. I appreciate what you guys are doing there. You know, you. I, I was thinking about this issue on, uh, you know, this. I, I like the idea of the topic tonight. It's not just a, you know, your standard discussion about abortion most of us are in agreement on that but you know i've never thought about it in this respect but i appreciate the the connection here you know with uh you know children being spiritually aborted in a sense that the parents don't do their job you know when when you mentioned earlier and i got to thinking about this you had mentioned the fact that sometimes parents uh you know what they want to back off and allow their children to decide whether or not they should be involved in the church or not they're not going to press the church on their children and, you know, do you think that maybe a lot of that comes from the fact that people don't understand the importance of the church today? That in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it talked about, you know, it talks about the fact that the Lord added, you know, to the church daily those that were being saved. People don't understand, I think, sometimes the connection between salvation and the church. The church is the saved people. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so, Mike. I think a lot of people think that they could raise their kids to be God-fearing individuals, but 
never have any association with the Lord's church. Uh, that that that's, th- those are two sort of separate, not necessarily related things. But of course, we believe it, that if a person is right with God and is in a saved relationship with God. He's going to be in the Lord's church and be actively serving in the Lord's and church. And, Mike, maybe that is due to the fact that most people see worship as an obligation and a bother rather than a blessing. Right. And they're, and they're, and they're showing their kids that attitude. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think sometimes, uh, you know, people get the confusion between, you know, they get confused a little bit between the local church and the universal church, and they don't understand that, you know, if, if your children don't become part of the Lord's church, the universal church, we're not saved or lost based on a on a local congregation. Thank goodness for all of us. But you know, certainly if our attitude's in the right place, we're going to want to be part of that. And I guess the question or the, the statement, I guess I would have to all those that might be listening that might say, "Well, I don't want to press this on my children," though, if they don't ever become part of the Lord's church, what's the alternative? What's going to happen to those young people? They better understand the absolute importance. Of becoming, you know, part of that. Exactly right. You can't separate those two things, and I believe you're exactly right. A lot of people in the religious world never make that connection. But to be saved is to be in the Lord's church. You cannot separate those two things, and and to try to do so just is is uh, well, it, it's illogical, but also disastrous. And well, go ahead, go ahead, Jacob. No, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Well, you know, sometimes I think they just don't make that connection, and. Uh, I, if if, a, if someone doesn't need to be at services, we need to, you know, if there would be some reason why they wouldn't want to be there, that ought to be a number one red flag for us right there. That maybe our, our children, if they don't want to be there, maybe that has something to do with us as parents, but, you know, maybe we ought to be concerned that that's a big red flag that maybe they're, they're either already on their way or they are spiritually dead because somebody who has a right spiritual mindset is going to want to be with the saints. On you know any time they meet, and again your kids are, are going to your kids are going to pick up on your feeling about that uh, about that activity about that association. If they see that you value it, it's very important to you. It's a priority in your life. Then, very typically, they're going to develop that same attitude toward it. But well, if, if they but on the other hand, if you see it as a drudgery and something that you'd rather not do and that you often compromise anything that comes up, uh, you'll use as an excuse not to be at services, not to be around God's people. They're going to develop that attitude as well. So it goes back to this idea of parental influence and example. Right. I, I agree with you totally. I'm, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't want to be with the saints whenever they'd meet. And I, you know, I'm not going to press this on anybody, for, but for me, how I apply this to myself, even if I have opportunity to meet with saints on a casual basis, I'm not even talking about worship, but I, I ought to be, want, want to be with my brothers and sisters. If we don't want to be with them right now, why on earth do we want to go to heaven? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, right. if I can't, if I don't have any interest in being with these folks right now, why would I want to spend all of eternity with these, these yeah, people? Yeah, Jacob, you know? Jacob's got a sermon that I've heard in which he says heaven might be a drag. If you, <laughs> you know, you may not like it there. Well, you, we can't even stand to sit in the pew behind him for an hour. We, sure. we're going to, you know, forever. You know, and that that was going to segue into my next question for you, Mike. And do you think that our attitude towards fellow Christians? Is, is perceived by our children so that uh, they realize that rather than being a blessing, like we read about the fellow Christians being a blessing to Paul and other Christians in the New Testament, rather than being a blessing, they see our fellow Christians as being a burden or being uh, obnoxious to us, and why in the world would they want to be associated with people like that when we can't even stand them, when their parents can't even stand to be around them? Well, sure, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Ronald Reagan in, in the days, you know, they had the the term trickle down economics well i think there's a you know a trickle down sense we as 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 parents those of us who are christians and parents need to be you know so very very cautious about what we allow our children to to see and to hear through our actions and our attitudes if if you know on the way home from services uh, i've had some difficulty or you know i don't i don't on a personal level maybe i don't mesh quite so well with one individual or not uh, or another I think it's it's very damaging whether or not there's even justification in you feeling that way. Maybe they've been unkind or unfair to you or something like that, and your children can see that. If you go home, and all the way home from services, you're griping and complaining about those individuals, you're, that's going to carry down to your children. And sometimes your children don't understand 
you know the way that they ought to. They don't they don't understand all that. Yeah, I knew a family one time, Mike, uh, that they it was a big family, grandparents, parents, children, and after Sunday services. Uh, every Sunday, they they always had a, a meal together at the grandparents' house. These people were the most negative people. They were always griping and complaining and harping on all the problems at the church and how bad everybody in the church was. Well, none of those grandchildren ever grew up to be a Christian. And well, surprised? Surprise surprise yeah, you're not surprised at the outcome. Why would if it's that bad and that's all they ever heard from their parents and grandparents was how bad the church was and everybody in it. Why would they want to be a part of it? It, it, it just goes, it, it, I mean, you could predict it. You could see it coming. Well, can't you take, you know, maybe this is a suggestion to your listeners out there, but can't you take situations like that, and as negative as they are, can't you turn them into a positive opportunity? Because, you know, okay, we could get together on Sunday afternoon. We could all meet over at my place, and you and I and Jacob and, and uh, all of our wives and our children, we, got, we could all get together, and we could gripe about everybody in church, and our children could hear that and walk away thinking, you know, I don't want to be part of this church when I grow up because, you know, there's nothing but a bunch of uh, troublemakers and hypocrites in there. Yeah. Why do I want to waste my time with this? Or we could sit around and have a discussion saying, well, you know, and if we really felt like we had to speak about those things at all in the first place, but what if our conversations led in a direction where we said, you know, I've noticed brother so-and-so is struggling with uh, short-temperedness or, you know, whatever, whatever problem we had noticed, let's all pause for a moment. And pray for him. Yeah, you know what? What kind of an impact would that have on our children, as opposed to being negative and being critical and never, always being a part of the problem and never part of the solution? You know, wouldn't we have a, a big impact on our children if they saw us and, and talking about, you know, what what could we do to help him? You know, do you think we could talk to him? Do you think we could do something to encourage him? Let's pray about it. You know, there's a there's a big difference in how you handle words, a problem. You, in other words, it, a lot of people, the way they deal with those kind of things ends up harming their children and their families. They could use it as an opportunity to do good. Good and, point, and Mike. You know, and, you know, when we behave like the world in the church, then our children see that our behavior at its very best is just like the world and perhaps even worse than some of the world would treat their fellow man. And there's absolutely no uh, attraction to them there. When they look at the church, there's nothing that would appeal to them because it's, at the very best, it's just like the world. Well, I can be part of the world and not be woke up early on Sunday morning. I can sleep in and be part of the world. Yeah. So, you know, if there's, if there's no added value, if there's no benefit to being in the church, if we're all acting like the world, then my advice would be if, if that's going to be the way it would, you might as well get a few extra hours sleep on Sunday morning exactly because it's right. not going to do us any good. So. Hey, Mike, thanks for the call. We appreciate your con contribution to the program tonight. I, I, I appreciate it, and I don't mean to, to uh, uh, monopolize the time, so I'm going to get off here, but I appreciate you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, thanks Mike. for calling. Yep, bye. Appreciate your call. 877-381-4567. That line's open now, and time for your call. Maybe Mike sparked a thought of, that you'd like to comment on or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. We skipped a break, but I think we should probably just go yeah, we'll plow just leave right that ahead. One. We'll leave the, that one until next week. Yeah, uh, want to get a couple emails here. Uh, but, uh, the third question we asked Jacob was, "What do you think, are the, or what are your top three suggestions for raising godly children?" Uh, I, that's an important question. I think I wish we had got more response to that question, but I got a couple here I want to read. One's from Jack in Hampshire, Tennessee, who says, "Number one." Be the godly example which shows your children you love God. And we've been talking a lot about our example as parents. Very important. I don't, it certainly can't be underestimated. Number two, submerge them in God's word. We we referenced the earlier in the program. Eric was referencing Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 8. Uh, Jack does that in his email as well. That under the Old Testament law, Moses advised them, you need to talk about your kids morning, day, morning noon, day. and night. You need to talk to them about the Word of God. And we don't do enough of that. I'm convinced that, that parents today are not doing enough of that. Just just the time they spend in Bible class on Sunday morning and Wednesday night is not enough time. We're not going to get the job done. Uh, and then number three, Jack says, explain how God is in every part of their lives. I think that's good, too. I wouldn't have thought to put it that way, but we need to get our kids to realize that Serving God is not just something you do for a couple hours on Sunday and maybe on Wednesday night. It is your life. It is your life is serving God. That's the way we need to view it. It is not just something. It's not just one of the things we do. It is what we do, and everything else fits into that. 
but yeah. but our it's, life is yeah, to be it's, served. It's not, it's not just a little. It's not like a a hobby that we have on on it's, Sunday. It's not just one of a number of things we do. It is what we do. It is our life, and we right. need to we need to teach our kids to look at it that way. All right, Patrick in Birmingham, Alabama says uh, number one: pray every day and pray with your children every day. Teach your children to pray. Start when they're in the womb. My two-year-old daughter makes the sign of the cross. Okay, he's a Catholic, and so that would be uh, something that they would do as they pray and prays at meal times when we sit down at the table to eat, even if she doesn't pronounce all the words right. And she's been doing that for a few months because I started teaching her early on, and she's seen the example const- uh, consistently. There's again the idea of example. Set an okay. example. All right. Okay. Uh, number two, picking a second is hard because there are so many things, but I would say that insisting on having family meals together is extremely important. Turn the TV off. Everyone sit together at the table. Teach decent table manners. Talk to each other. Having an orderly and decent structure in the family can depend upon truly uh, – that the family can depend upon truly strengthens family unity and fosters a sense of peace and security in the family. That's interesting because, you know, a lot of parent, a lot of families don't have any – structured family time together at all they're just passing one another as they rush around to to all the different things they're doing they're not involved in in one another's lives and they have very little communication with each other back into deuteronomy chapter six you see that the parent and the child were together throughout the day spending time so that the parent could take those opportunities to teach you know it'd be better off for the kids to have one less activity one less ball team to be a member of one less one less school activity to participate in so that the parents could have some legitimate real time with them in that parent-child relationship, which is so important. So I think that's a good point, too. All right. Number three, Patrick says, if you're wrong, apologize. Yes, parents should apologize to their children. Parents should not be proud and self-righteous and think that they never have to admit wrongdoing to their kids. I know one day when my children are able to understand, I'm going to have to fess up about some mistakes I've made. But that's better than trying to pretend that I'm perfect and try to hide my imperfections. I want my kids to trust me and know that they can be honest with their own feelings and failings rather than think that they have to hide their own problems because they can't live up to dad's impossibly high and false perfection. Well, I, I understand what Patrick is saying there. And certainly when you're wrong, you've got to, you've got to not only apologize, you've got to repent. Uh, and, and I don't think it's necessarily bad for for parents uh, to do that, and so their kids know it. Parents make mistakes, and when they make mistakes relative to what to their involvement with their kids, they need to they need to admit it and say so. I, I believe that is important to do. But what what were the goal? He, he talks about an impossibly high and false perfection. I'm not sure I would say it that way. Our our goal uh, is to be perfect. That, you know, we want to live. That's our goal, but we don't want them to. We don't want them to think that uh, that we have never sinned in our life, right. and well, that, that we we're, that we've just we're perfect. That's right. But yeah, we want to set. Goal. We want that's to our goal. set yeah. a, the goal. We're not, we're not going to say Dad loses his temper, so it's okay if you lose your temper. Yeah. And I don't think that's what Patrick is saying. No, I don't either. Okay, uh, we got an email coming in from Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee, who references Genesis eighteen verse nineteen, and that's a really uh, uh, impressive statement about Abraham that God made. Uh, this is not just the, the impression or statement of some other mortal human being, but God himself. I want to read that in Genesis 18, verse 19. Using a different Bible here tonight, and I'm not having, I'm having I've trouble got it here. If you, if, he says, I know him, God says about Abraham, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. God had that kind of confidence in Abraham. Boy, that'd be a great thing to have that kind of, uh, have set that kind of an example that not just others were impressed, not just other mortal human beings were impressed, but that God in heaven was impressed with Abraham and said, I know him. I know he will raise up his children. Back to Patrick's email. Abraham's example is not an impossibly high goal for us to obtain. Right. Abraham was able to do it. Exactly. And we are able to have that same uh, characteristic of our life. Uh, you could add in there Joshua 24, verse 15. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It, he, 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 it wasn't a question. There was He was the leader. He was the head of that family. And he could say with absolute certainty, we will serve the Lord. Not in 2009, though. In 2009, he'd have to say, as for me and my house, I'll serve the Lord, and I hope that they will, too. And I'll leave it up to them to decide what yeah. they want to do right. when they get if old they, enough. Maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, they will. Yeah. No, that's not it. No, not at all. 
All right. Well, I think we're out of time. We've had a good discussion tonight. Yeah, I think so. I think it's an important thought. Uh, and I appreciate Eric uh, Reynolds for suggesting this idea to us. All, I, I'm assuming, I hope, that everybody who's listening to us, we're on the, uh, in agreement and on the same page about physical abortion. Let's think about the fact that we've got to we got to be working hard that our that we don't lose our children that we don't affect their spiritual death by our neglect. We care for our children physically. We don't want anything to harm them. We got to have that much and more concern for them spiritually. Exactly right. All right. Thank you for your thoughts tonight, Dad. Thank you, Jacob. And thank you for participating in the program tonight. We hope you benefited from our discussion of God's Word. If you have any questions about the things that we've said. Contact us, questions at collegeu.com or 877-381-4567 anytime. We'll be happy to hear from you. We'd like to discuss these things with you in further detail. We hope you make plans to be back here for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.